Hello, and welcome to the OnTech Protective Intelligence Podcast. I'm Fred Burton, the Executive Director of the OnTech Center for Protective Intelligence. During my years as a counterterrorism agent with the U.S. State Department and time spent as a physical security expert in the private sector, I've seen it all and met many fascinating people along the way. This podcast series explores the riveting world of protective intelligence through conversations with leaders in the security field. I'm Fred Burton, and now on to the podcast. Hi, I'm Fred Burton here today with Mark Caldwell. Mark is a former special agent and regional security officer with the U.S. Department of State Diplomatic Security Service. Mark served in multiple U.S. embassies, Honduras, Chad, Greece, Yemen, Pakistan, and both Congos, and multiple temporary assignments globally with the Secretary of State Protective Detail and as the Assistant Special Agent in Charge of the Houston Field Office. In the private sector, Mark has had the privilege to lead international security programs at Walmart International, Procter & Gamble, and AIG. Currently, Mark is the Corporate VP Chief Compliance Executive and Corporate Security Executive Leader for Atlantida Financial Group, overseeing the program throughout Central and South America for its banks, insurance companies, and for its pension fund and brokerage house companies. Mark and his wife, Norma, are joint venture owners with Trent Kimball, founder and CEO of Texas Armoring Corporation, and operate TAC Americas LTD from San Pedro Sula, Honduras. Mark, welcome to the Ontic Protective Intelligence Podcast. Thank you, Fred. It's great to be back with you. Mark, I love your slogan, life is valuable, protect it. Tell me a little bit about the armored car industry. Well, uh, that slogan comes from uh, our joint venture partner, Trent Kimball, who's been in the industry for 23 years, and before him, his father for approximately the same amount of time. So that's a very much a brand uh, statement from Texas Armoring Corporation that we've taken on in our joint venture. The armoring business goes back a long way. Leonardo da Vinci actually designed the first armored car back in the 1400s. Wow. And 400 years later, Rolls-Royce put it to practice. Uh, and then, of course, World War I kind of set the tone for the first mechanized armored vehicles. So uh, we've come a long way. And we specialize in uh, civilian passenger vehicle armoring. Uh, we do not do armoring for uh, military. We do some limited police armoring. Mark, you and I are familiar with motorcades and armored cars from our days of riding around with various dignitaries. For those that may not be familiar with this industry, tell me a little bit about the construction of an armored car. Well, in, uh, let me start then by some terms. So back in our former history in, in uh, diplomatic security, uh, and they still use the term FAV, right? Fully armored vehicle. Right. That's really a misnomer. There are different levels of ballistic protection. Uh, And in the United States, they use a NIJ scale. In Europe, they use a a CEN or now what's called a VPAM. I won't get too technical in all of those other than to say, let's keep it real simple. Your lower armored ballistic levels are for a handgun up to a 44 Magnum usually and a 12-gauge shotgun slug. That was what we would think of as a B4 level. Then it can uh, move up to a B6, B7, and even a what we would refer to as a B7 plus or a B8, which would be at your ambassadorial level, secretary of state level. Uh, and for foreign heads of state, which we also armor for in in their countries. It has come a long way. 
materials used 35, 40 years ago, unfortunately, in many uh, armoring companies are still used today. And that is a thicker steel for that particular material, and it, it uh, is much heavier. Uh, we use uh, a very um, precise steel, an AR500 versus an AR600 steel. Uh, it has a higher Brunel hardness, which means that it's thinner and lighter in weight. Um, so if you can imagine, uh, we can armor a vehicle at the, at the B6 level, which is an NIJ3 level equivalent. So you're talking about the 7.62 by 51 NATO round, right. uh, if you will. And we can armor that at the B6 level for 1,200 to 1,500 pounds added on to the original car weight. Your other armoring companies, most of them, not all of them, some of them do what we do as well, will add 2,600 to 3,000 pounds. So already you can see that just by the choice of materials we use and how we apply them, we are able to reduce weight. What does that do for us? Reducing the weight means better maneuverability, longer life, less wear and tear on the critical structure, suspension systems, brake systems, uh, the whole gamut of the mechanical part of the vehicle. Uh, it allows for greater comfort for the passengers and driver. It allows for better maneuverability for the driver, most importantly. Mark, the glass in a limo, talk to me about that. There are several different types of glass that are used. So many, many armoring companies use a polyurethane material. Um, it is an older version of the armoring glass process. We use a, a hard glass encasing of polycarbonate. So what does that mean? Well, what that allows for is that our, the way we use our, our glass polycarbonate is it's less uh, delamination or, if you will, air bubbles between the layers. And it also uh, gives us a better consistency and longer life uh, of the glass. Most manufacturers will guarantee their glass for, if you're lucky, six months to a year. Oh, wow. And, and why? It's not because the glass necessarily is bad or, or that it, it, it doesn't have a long life. It's because they can't guarantee the aftercare that the client will use on it. So as an example, if you park the vehicle out in direct sunlight all day, every day, 365 days a year, it's going to delaminate quite fast. Additionally, if you, you know, we all want clean windows, right? So uh, they will use uh, uh, Windex, which is ammonia-based, on the outside and the inside of the window. Well, the outside is glass. The inside is your polycarbonate or your polyurethane. And if you use that ammonia-based cleaner on the inside, you'll delaminate the glass faster. So the education of who cares for that vehicle, maintains that vehicle, and drives that vehicle are extremely important to the life of the glass. So when we give a car to a client, we also give them a owner's manual, if you will, for how to care for your armored vehicle. And one of the chief components of that is how to take care of your glass so that it will last you 36 months to five years if you take care of it well. And Mark, I know from looking at your website that you make armored vehicles out of what most people would perceive to be normal cars moving down the highway. That's right, especially with our the, the lighter composite materials and lighter steel that we use. We can armor a whole variety of make and model of vehicles. 
normally you think of an armored civilian vehicle as a big suburban uh, SUV style vehicle. Uh, you can also armor the smaller vehicles. Even Ford Escapes can be armored at the handgun level quite well without major modification to the suspension system. So it, it's about the materials you're using. Uh, we we often, our, our view is from a protection standpoint, you start with what is your risk? What's your vulnerability? Where are you located? What's, what's your real danger? Who are you? What do you do? What makes you a potential target? Is it just random crime you're worried about, or are you a specific potential target to criminal or terrorist element? And once you've done that on the front end, before you even talk about your protection and your protective package that you want to have, uh, or the type of armored vehicle you want to have, it gives you a better idea of what you need. And so uh, what we do is, is we ask our clients to let us walk them through, if you will, a very uh, basic understanding of what they think their risk level is and why they think they have that risk level. And we often encourage them to go to a third-party consultant so that they don't think we're upselling them on our product, but to go to a third-party consultant do an evaluation and assessment of their own risk. So that's very much in line with uh, the protective intelligence model of putting together a threat assessment before to determine your risk, and then you can evaluate and suggest what kind of vehicle the, the protectee needs to be in. Well, that's right. And so what's that mean? So we have different levels, right? Uh, from the old days, Fred, once you put a follow car and a protective detail on a, on a protectee, it's hard to go backwards, right? Right. So, so we start out with self-drive armored cars, for those that feel they need protection from crime, uh, they're in they're in maybe high volatile civil unrest areas, uh, random issues that may come up, mostly or or, or carjacking, high carjacking uh, areas, uh, which are quite prevalent in the United States, and and so that we might offer them a package where they could bring their own vehicle to us, and we would armor that vehicle. It could be a sedan, it could be a small SUV, it could be a large SUV. Um, but it's for self-drive. And, and the other component to that protection, of course, is that we want that vehicle to look as low-key and, and as close to OEM drive off the dealer uh, floor as possible. We, do, we don't want a, a, anyone to know it's armored unless you know what you're looking for or you walk right up to it and knock on it, right? Right. So you're trying to look at the lifestyle of the individual, their location, their proximity to crime and violence, and then evaluate that level of protection in that vehicle for them. That's absolutely right. So if you're, if you're in a high crime area in, in South America, uh, we could do a much different vehicle than we would do for if you're a contractor in Afghanistan during the height of the wars that have been going on there, right? Right. So you have built or and continue to build armored vehicles for heads of state, for foreign countries, for high net worth, for charities, NGOs, and so forth. Is there a area in the world that business is better for the armored car market? Well, I would say that uh, West Africa, in particular, Nigeria, is a very, very large market. Uh, especially, it, it is right now the largest or the or has the highest rate of kidnapping per capita of any country in the world at the moment. So it's approximately, if I remember my figures, about 93 per 100,000 people uh, mm. of kidnapping. You also have issues in Port Horcourt and and the other petroleum areas of the country uh, where you have uh, criminals and or slash paramilitary or slash 
terrorist groups that target the the oil industry workers for for kidnapping. So, and then in the north, in the Muslim section, you have Boko Haram, right? And we all right. heard a lot about them uh, in the news and and in our industry. And so, quite different. You could you could ask for a a B six or a B seven uh, in Port Horcourt that is self drive for you and your family members or you and your coworkers uh, to get to and from your your oil encampment to the fields. Or up north, you could be asking for a, a B seven because you also have a follow car in protective detail. Mark, uh, this car, the armored limousine, is is a tool. It's probably only as good as its driver. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. Uh, and, and let me just tell you a story. When I was uh, dating myself here, 22 years old, uh, driving uh, Secretary of State George Schultz around in, in Russia uh, on a particular trip, the ambassador, Ambassador Hartman, had just had his uh, armored vehicle returned from Helsinki for a, with a brand new paint job and, and refurbishments before the secretary's visit. And uh, we get into the vehicle and in the old embassy complex, there's this long tunnel, you may recall. That you yeah. have to drive out before you get to the main road. And uh, the AI, the agent in charge uh, next to me uh, wasn't happy that I was navigating slowly into that tunnel and told me to gun it. And like a dutiful 22-year-old agent, I did what I was told and scraped that puppy all the way down the side, <laughs> it, causing Ambassador Hartman uh, to be very colorful with me. And uh, Secretary Schultz uh, just turning to him and says, what the hell do you care? <laughs> so, so, so yeah, it, it uh, it's all about the driver, right? Uh, the skills. I mean, we go through as agents, we go through hours and hours and hours. But that doesn't mean you don't have accidents. It means that in a motorcade, obviously, you're driving uh, in close proximity to multiple vehicles. Reaction time is so important because how many times have we been in a motorcade where? Uh, fender benders have occurred, uh, etc. So uh, very important the driver's skills, and very important how the how the driver relays what only a driver can in terms of this doesn't feel right. The the turn radius is wrong. The the braking coefficient is wrong. Uh, we're we're not the uh, the the there's too much rattle. There's too much bounce. Uh, when you start the, the when the driver. Uh, starts complaining about those things, there needs to be a, a chief armoring mechanic to, to begin to evaluate what's going on with that. We'll get back to the conversation in just a moment. But first, I wanted to tell you a little about OnTech's Center for Protective Intelligence. In the world of protective intelligence, we know that gathering and sharing information is crucial. That is why we created the OnTech Center for Protective Intelligence. We are regularly sharing strategies and best practices, insights, lessons learned from current and historical trends, as well as lessons learned from physical security experts like you. To find blogs, podcasts, webinars, white papers, and more, check out the center by visiting ontech.ai/center. That's ontech.ai/center. Mark, how long does it take to build one of these? And walk me through the build process. So it will take, uh, we, we try uh, in every capacity to build within 60 working days, minus holidays and weekends, a, from the ground up, a B6 level uh, armored vehicle. 
Now, it takes us 60 days and uh, t- uh, because uh, we're, we're one of the only companies that actually uh, forms the steel to the contours of the skin of the vehicle. So we use high-pressure hydraulic presses to actually bend steel to, to put inside the doors so that we can fabricate this armored vehicle as close to OEM specifications as possible, put it back together to where the inside dimensions are as close as possible to the original vehicle. Um, And that takes time and skill with craftsmen to do that work. We also, for the customer, are adding lots of different goodies. So sometimes customers want uh, grill lights or they want uh, radio systems, communication systems, GPS systems. They want other types of infrared camera systems, those kinds of things, uh, depending on where they're going to use them and what process they use them for, uh, so that we, we can add even an additional 15 to 30 days, depending on the type of, of uh, additional accessories that the, the client may want. In our process is different than the traditional process where you take a flat piece of steel, and which is normally about 14 millimeters thick, whereas ours range from 5 millimeters to 12 millimeters thick, uh, but we're able to bend it. Once you start heating the AR-600 steel, you break down the Bernoulli factor, which is the hardness factor, which is your ballistic value. Uh, but with our military spec uh, steel that we use, uh, it, it allows us to bend it and do minor heat treatments in order to put it correctly in the vehicle, the posts, the pillars, the firewall. Uh, if you're doing a complete steel cocoon, the roof and the floor. Part of that assessment that we were talking about in the beginning, a lot of people don't need steel floors and steel roofs. They may need you be able to use a composite. What What's the difference? A steel roof allows you to prevent 90-degree penetration of a projectile. A composite roof is more of a 45-degree angle uh, protection. If it, it, it can penetrate if it's at 90. Well, why would anyone want that? Well, wait, right? If you firmly believe, and we wouldn't do this for a war zone, but for a high kidnap area or something like that, you could actually uh, use a, a composite roof that gives you lighter weight and allows you more maneuverability and speed to get off the X should there be an attack, right? Right. The floorboard itself, we use uh, different materials. We use steel if it's necessary for the higher ballistic level. We use a ballistic nylon that is a two-by-two two weaving, and then it is, it is layered in 20 different layers, and then it is sealed with a water-resistant material that, that keeps mold and mildew and, and that kind of thing away from it. And what that does is, is that helps uh, absorb fragmentation. So uh, it will actually absorb low-order uh, IEDs, with improvised explosive devices, such as pipe bombs and even low-order small uh, grenades. So it depends on the assessment and where you are and what you're comfortable with in terms of your protection. Uh, but the that kind of uh, modified B6 or B7 uh, is faster, more maneuverable. It allows you to get off the X, allows you to get out of danger faster. And uh, you may not need that extra heavy steel on the roof and the floor. And by looking at it, you'd never know the difference. Are there any special tires? Yes. So we use, uh, first of all, we'll replace the OEM tires, uh, uh, provided they're available for the make and model, with a higher, high load uh, weight bearing tire. And then we will add with it run flat inserts. And there's different types of those. Uh, We use, uh, for most of our installations, a steel cable, hard rubber 
uh, insert system that you use a ratchet to ratchet down. Uh, they're far less susceptible to being uh, displaced and causing uh, different types of movement issues or disalignment to your vehicle. For the heavier vehicles, you still have to use the steel rim and hard uh, plastic, if you will, uh, bolt-on uh, inserts that are very susceptible to cracking and uh, in potholes and things like that if you're if you hit too many of them. I know just from our past and history and uh, having investigated attacks on motorcades in the past, I mean, they save lives. It wasn't too long ago we had uh, that senior Mexican official that uh, was running heavy with a security detail and so forth and came under what appeared to be a very sophisticated attack. And the, the vehicle took a lot of damage, but but he was not hurt. When you're, when you're looking at these kinds of scenarios, Mark, do you have other kinds of use cases that you use to talk to clients about? Well, absolutely. We uh, we use that one because it's uh, the most one of the most recent ones, uh, and and I actually used it with a couple of uh, CEOs of fairly large uh, Central American companies recently because they uh, heard about it in the local news as well. Uh, it was a very big deal here in Central America. Uh, but we also use uh, the old kidnappings like Mauro and uh, the Prime Minister of Italy. Yeah, uh, and different and different ones like that because the process of attack hasn't changed a whole lot. The armaments have changed, the skill sets of the bad guys have changed, uh, but uh, the the actual physical motion of a motorcade or a vehicle uh, is about the same. Uh, it may be faster, it may be slower, it may be you know have different capabilities, um, but the attack scenario of how you stop a vehicle in motion is is pretty much the same over the past decade. Yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, we actually were chatting about motorcades at OnTech this week, and uh, I was using a few examples. And obviously, the technology has gotten better with uh, some of the materials that you're talking about, which is really cutting edge, but the actual tactics on how a motorcade is uh, disabled and so forth with the intent to either kill or kidnap uh, have been around for a long time. That's right. And uh, obviously, counter-surveillance is important if you're a very high threat target uh, so that you can avoid those kill zones if there's something that doesn't look right. And that goes into a whole other area of protective intelligence, right? Yeah, without a doubt. Now, what other unique aspects uh, come into play when you're looking at armoring? Are there any other kinds of vehicles that uh, you're you're working on that, that folks would not really expect to see? Well, so I'll, I'll imagine this. Uh, you have a client and he says, look, I, ha I just bought a brand new uh, Mercedes G-Wagon 63, uh, $200,000 a pop. I want to have it armored. Uh, we go, are you really sure you want to have that armored? <laughs> <laughs> and we'll, we'll show him pictures of us uh, with a stripped down G-Wagon uh, so that he understands we're going to completely take almost every bolt and washer off of that vehicle. The new vehicles, of course, have very complex wire harnesses, sensor systems, electronic. And so your technicians have to be very well versed and are constantly in school, uh, learning the new systems, uh, learning the new troubleshooting, understanding how the sensors have changed and are, are working to do that. But as an example, in our, in our shop currently right now, we have Infinities, we have uh, LX570s, we have uh, Escalade. SUVs. We, we have a Ford F-150. Uh, we have a G63. And we, have, and we also 
do cash and transit vehicles. So we, we're converting uh, currently right now six Land Cruiser 79 series vehicles into uh, cash and transit vehicles for bank customers uh, around the region. So it's almost any vehicle you want to bring to us. Our San Antonio folks uh, that we learned from, uh, they they still armor Bentleys and uh, Rolls Royces and all manner of very, very high-end vehicles. That's amazing. Now, what would people be surprised to learn about the armoring business or a limousine that's in general that perhaps they haven't thought of? I would say a couple of things. One is if you're dealing with a high-wealth individual who wants an armored vehicle, they're going to not understand the process. And so you have to really, you hope you get to the end user and not just the security director, because you want that end user to understand that you're you're really taking his brand new vehicle or her brand new vehicle and you're stripping it completely. And in that you put it back together and it's as close to OEM as possible, you're still going to have differences. Uh, it's heavier. It's going to maneuver differently. It's not going to move, maneuver the same as, as an unarmored vehicle. It's going to have different sounds to it from time to time. To the Because of the process we use, you have far less of that issue, but you're still going to have some of that issue. Um, the more gadgetry you put on it, we may have to put a second battery on it. And if we do that, then you and you have drivers that, that don't understand how to use that dual battery system, you're going to have uh, cars that don't start in the morning when the boss is ready to go to work. So... There's a whole dynamic and education around using an armored vehicle. Many people think you can just buy one and drive it and not go to any schooling. And we highly suggest that they take advantage of a number of armored car consultants or even the manufacturer like us. We will we will give instruction on the use of the armored car and the maintenance of it so that they're not surprised at the end of the day. Mark, what question haven't I asked you that I should? I think uh, the importance of OEM and what we do and what's required to be modified. So if you take a car straight out of the dealership, it's at, at the OEM perfection. It's a beautiful car. It, the the height of that vehicle is made for the weight of that vehicle. The width of that vehicle is made for that vehicle. And when you armor it, you're adding substantial weight to it. And so what do you need to do to lift that vehicle back up to OEM height from the ground to the to the bottom of the vehicle? Uh, you're going to have to have an excellent suspension system that is aftermarket. So what a lot of our clients get in, uh, in problems with is in their long-term maintenance. Um, and we see this in government applications with motor pools. So uh, in our system in the old days, Fred, in the GSO at the embassy, would just, okay, we have the Ambassador's Cadillac, I'll, I'll buy shocks and coils, and we'll replace those, and maybe it won't bounce so much. So they go to the catalog, and they get an OEM for that make model of vehicle. What they're not doing is calculating the extra weight and the need to go to an aftermarket provider that will custom make those coils, custom make those springs, custom make that suspension system, the sway bars that are made for the extra weight of that vehicle. And that's what we do is, is we have to do that so that the client and customer, and in particular the driver, have a vehicle that will maneuver properly. Mark, if folks are interested in your vehicles, where can they find you? They can find us at texasarmoring.com. We are a joint venture, separate legal entities, but we share certain uh, back-end operations, the website included. Uh, you can find us there. 
You can also find us through uh, direct line phone numbers, emails, addresses, I mean, TACAM at TexasArmoring.com or myself, Mark at TexasArmoring.com or my wife, Norma at TexasArmoring.com. She is the president of our joint venture and is a, an amazing uh, business lady that just keeps us kicking uh, because all we like to do is play with the cars. She does the hard work in the back office. <laughs> Mark Caldwell, thank you so much for being on the OnTick Protective Intelligence Podcast. Thank you. It's been great to be with you again, Fred. This episode was brought to you by the OnTick Center for Protective Intelligence. Learn more at ontic.ai slash center. Again, that's ontic.ai slash center. It was produced by A.J. McKeon. Our music is a track called Monte Verde Ride and was written by Brian Bristow and performed by Smoke and Novas. Check them out on Spotify. Please remember to rate and review our podcast on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us at podcast at ontic.ai or visit ontic.ai slash center for more information. And thanks for listening.